When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, before we get to today's episode of the podcast, I wanted to say first, thank you for continuing to listen to the Total Soccer Show throughout the World Cup, even with the USMNT eliminated. We greatly appreciate people sticking with us. But we also understand if you want to check out other podcasts too, listen to this one first and then check out other ones. And one I'm going to point you to directly is The Football Ramble. It is a wonderful way to uh, get your soccer coverage, but some lighthearted fare as well, uh, or combined, I guess, together would be a better way to put that, uh, because you're getting daily coverage of this World Cup all the way through the end of the tournament, covering uh, the biggest teams, obviously focusing a lot on England. They're an English podcast. I'm guessing you're going to get some love for England and maybe some frustration with England, depending on how things play out. They started in 2007 at a kitchen table. They have grown from there. They now have their own independent empire, and they are one of football's most important independent voices. So join them every morning for a slightly more lighthearted look at the nonsense that is this World Cup. Search Football Ramble in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Show and our latest foray into the 2022 World Cup. It's day 16 of the action, and Brazil are advancing with the win so comprehensive that everybody was dancing. Even TJ got in on the fun as the Selecao brutally ended South Korea's run. Meanwhile, Croatia's players might not be in their prime, but once again, they proved they're masters of extra time. Japan showed up, but defeat was on the cards when they were utterly pathetic at converting from 12 yards. So the third quarter final is set when Croatia faced Brazil. Will it be Yoga Benito or Zero Extra Time Chill? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who got to do a penalty diagram today. Hurrah, Taylor Rockwell. The World Cup has finally officially started. It took until the knockout round, but here we are. Always fun to get to do a penalty diagram, uh, even if it ended up being a less than dramatic penalty shootout. Yeah, is it is it more disappointing when the shootout is a bit dis, you know not good when you've gone to the effort of creating and crafting such a beautiful I mean, page in your ledger? I wish I could say no, but like yeah, no, it's it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> depressing. I mean, because really the takeaway was just like J- Japan should be better at penalties. They didn't really uh, do so good at them. I, I think yeah. they definitely were focused on putting them on frame and less so on putting any sort of power behind them. Uh, not the best showing from them. Uh, better from Croatia for sure. Yeah, exactly. Just hit it. Learn from Robert Lewandowski and just hit it. Unless you're Neymar, and then do whatever you want. Sounds like you learned a lot from doing the diagram, Taylor. That's good. Uh, And you can see it, listener, if you head to patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for our extra bonus content during this uh, competition here. Do go over there if you are so inclined. Joining us, a man you just heard his voice. He was so keen to avoid watching England win at the World (laughs) Cup last night that he went and did some social things out with real people in the world instead. Graham Ruthven, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I, I tactically skipped yesterday's podcast to avoid your England chat specifically. I presume you got it all out of your system, right? Uh, no. <laughs> how, how are you feeling for Saturday, though? Because that is, that is a big game. And also, the, the second question I have is, are you skipping croissants and baguettes and being rude to customers in airports until Saturday? Is, are you foregoing all things French, Ryan, until that game? Graham, let's not be rude about people from the European continent. I never do it. You shouldn't of do course. it. Either, okay? <laughs> yes, of course. All right? You, you right. set the perfect example in that regard, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> I certainly do. I am quite concerned about the game, if I'm honest, Graham. And to be honest, from about 30 minutes of the Senegal game, I was concerned about the game against France, and I think I'll remain to be. The, the general mm. consensus seems to be that the French should be scared of the England team, but hey, they've got Mbappe. That is mm. the crux of the was, argument the media's putting out so far. Was it the moment when, I think it was Ismail Assar, basically just ran straight through the middle of the England defence with the mm. score at 0-0 and then picturing Kylian Mbappe and Osman Dembele doing that was, th- was that the moment was, was that the precise moment <laughs> that you started to shiver a little bit 
Yes, when uh, Harry Maguire was having a delicious feast at Ismail Star's dust as, uh, as he walked past him. Yes, yes. He this is, went past. This is a masterclass from Graham Ruffin. It truly Miss is. Miss the game. Avoid talking about the game. Go straight to, are you scared, Ryan? Are you? Well done, Graham. Well done, man. And not just, not just, are you scared, but here's why you should be yeah. as well. Graham, yeah. excellent work. I've done this before. This is not my first rodeo. Well done, Graham. Very good. Uh, joining us, you just heard his voice there. A man who'll be nothing but polite about England because he's very gracious. Joe Lowry, hello. Yeah, I'm going to try. Graham might rub off on me a little bit here. I don't know what's going to happen, Ryan. I might not be in full control by the time that game against France comes around. It is going to be an uphill battle for England, but, you know, they have a shot, Ryan. And that, honestly, is not the worst thing. See, so you saying there's a chance. Oh, yeah. I like oh, it. yeah. Come on. Good stuff. All right. Um, well, we'll talk about that game much more uh, throughout this episode to annoy Graham, but also throughout this week as we go towards Saturday, I imagine. But uh, we're going to focus on the two games that happened this here Monday uh, on this here podcast. We'll start off. Which one do you want to start off with, Taylor? Dealer's choice. The first game or the second game? I'll let you choose. We didn't even organize it before we started recording. Let's go Japan first. Why not? Let, let, let's get the... Uh... The, the gritty draw and penalties out of the way to then talk about Jogo Bonito and uh, goals, 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 and dance, dance, dance. Mm, chronology from Taylor Rockwell. Mm. I like it a lot. It was Japan 1, Croatia 1. Of course, Croatia going through 3-1 on penalties. Yes, 3-1 on penalties. Uh, Japan leading through Maida in the game, uh, onside by a fingertip uh, before a powerful, powerful Perisic header um, equalized for Croatia. And it seemed like the goalkeeper, Dominic Livakovic, excuse Excuse me, was the hero of the shootout, mm-hmm. saving three of those penalties, as Taylor mentioned. Japan not having a problem putting them on frame, more just putting them directly into the keeper's gloves in this one. Uh, Taylor, what did we make of uh, regular time here? Was it a fairly even contest, in your opinion? It seemed like, I, I, I from, my, from watching it, it felt like Japan just couldn't convert anything. that They, yeah. they created chances, they just couldn't convert. But then I looked and they both had the same amount of shots on target, and that confused me. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really, really fun game for the first 75 minutes or so. Yep. And then it felt like both teams decided, you want to take this to penalties? Is that where we're going to go with this <laughs> one? And then they did. Uh, but the first half especially, I thought, was was really engaging, really interesting in how both teams approached each other. Japan switching to a back five and and yet still sort of pressing high, causing problems, disrupting the way Croatia wanted to play, sitting somebody on Luka Modric pretty regularly to deny them, uh, deny him space, which therefore meant deny Croatia some of the creativity. Uh, Croatia, I think, for their part, were content to go long at times and then uh, still find little pockets of space for Modric. Brozovic had more time on the ball than I thought he would. And, and it was just an interesting game of back and forth with teams making little adjustments, teams trying to frustrate each other, uh, and then Japan getting opportunities and not taking them. Uh, Croatia for their part, having plenty of uh, opportunities themselves, most of them from distance in the second half. Uh, and it was a, a well-balanced game that I think ultimately became a sort of slog, exemplified by Luka Modric coming off in extra time. That doesn't feel like a thing that would have happened if they were going for the win there, Croatia. Yeah, that seems the way. Joe, um, the stat going around, seven of Croatia's last eight major tournament knockout games have gone to extra time. The only one that didn't, the World Cup final. Uh, and in that stretch, of course, they've reached a final and a quarter final. Do you think they just go out there with the game plan that we're going to make this two hours, lads? Like, I, I do no think, way it's going shorter. I do think, to Taylor's point, both teams really realized, okay, we don't have the energy, we don't have the legs, we don't have the ability to break through the other. We'll take something if it comes to us magically. And there have been a couple of moments in this, even in this game, where opportunities fall to a player, certainly in this tournament that's happened several times. But neither team was really willing to overextend themselves. Ryan, I don't know what it is about this Croatia team. Maybe it is their level of of savvy. And I, I say that as a compliment because there's tons of quality in this team. They have a lot of veterans in this group. They're not afraid of those moments, I would imagine, psychologically. Maybe that's part of it. The other part is maybe they don't have the full amount of game-breaking attacking talent to really that push one. their way fully past teams. Right? I mean, Perisic is a quality <laughs> player, but he's aging. The midfield is, is excellent, but old. I mean, this team is slow. They rarely seem like they're in a hurry to do much. In this game, a bullet header, and it was a phenomenal header, header from Perisic off of a great ball in from Dijon Lovren, was enough to get them back level. At that point, I don't think they really ever felt the need to push it into top gear, or maybe they just don't have that top gear, right? Yeah, I mean, Perisic is just so important to this Croatia team for the reason that you mentioned there, Joe. They don't really have an, another outlet. They don't have another outball. And we all know that Croatia can control the game with that midfield unit. 
but they can be stale if they don't have an out ball and, and that's where he, he comes in both in terms of his, his running and there was maybe a couple times in this game where he was able to stretch his legs and get in behind and then also his ability in the air and crosses into the box caused Japan problems throughout this match in fact on the flip side Japan as well caused Croatia problems with their deliveries into the area yeah. um, so it wasn't much of a surprise that that's how Croatia equalised in this game they attempted 45 crosses in this game in, in 90 minutes which was the, the, the third most of any match at this World Cup so far and Perisic is just one of those like major tournament players I would class him alongside Shakiri and Memo Ochoa and Enor Valencia who just shows up for these tournaments he's got 10 major tournament goals for Croatia which is more than any other Croatian player he overtook Davor Sukur tonight but I think without him that Croatian team is just very stale yes they can control a game but as you say, Joe, there's not much attacking threat and it got to a point in this match where it felt like they were grinding it out. I thought Japan in the first half were very dangerous, particularly down the, the right side. And I think yep. some of that was down to Borna Barisic for, for Croatia. He's a player I'm very familiar with, given that he plays in Scotland. And he just couldn't get anywhere near to, to Ito whenever he ran at him. The frustration for me in the second half was that Japan didn't switch Matomo to the right wing, where he, he could have had a go at Barisic. And instead, they left him on the left, where Juranovic is much stronger in a defensive sense. There were some things in the, in the final phase of the game after about 60 minutes where it felt like Japan their, their chance was kind of disappearing it was vanishing and I wanted them to change things up a little bit having said that Moriyasu is, is not hesitant to make changes from the bench he, again in this, in this match he rings the changes but just in terms of their approach I wanted them to try something a little bit different and Croatia's experience in the end I thought was the difference Yeah I, I thought for sure that uh, they would find a way to get Mario Mandzukic into this game <laughs> though he is retired and an assistant coach and not in the squad uh, he was and has been a difference maker for Croatia in World Cups. He scores in the final, which doesn't have that big of an impact, but scores plenty of other goals. He is that aerial presence. And there were multiple moments in that first half where it just felt like Croatia were still playing for him, forgetting that he wasn't there. Uh, Petkovic, I don't think, does enough of what's asked to really be that creative player, but also be the one who can get on the end of crosses and just kind of create something from nothing the way Mandzukic could. And I think that is the thing that was hurting them in this game. Uh, not having Rakitic, as they did in 2018 through the middle, having that other creative outlet. I think Kovacic uh, did a good job. I think he's a very good midfielder, but they do lack some of that creativity and then some of that sort of brute force, that aerial ability that I think was a difference maker for them. So though they win this game in penalties and, and they're able to play back into it and fight back into it, I still think that lack of attacking spark or consistent attacking spark is going to cause them problems in the next round or at some point pretty soon. Taylor, when you pulled up Mario Mandzukic, I just mm -hmm. got a pang of sadness because I realised he's not around on the field right. anymore. I, I get when Thomas Müller finally stops in the Germany team, who's been around since what nineteen ten or something. Yes, I'm going to feel that same sadness. I think it's kind of he's not Kramaric is no Mandzukic. I guess is what we're getting at here, but also. He, he just seems like he's part of the furniture in these tournaments, doesn't he? He does. And it will be probably the same thing where I think Thomas Muller will, will still make an appearance here and there and then slowly fade and then we'll forget. And then there'll be that moment when Germany are like looking for someone to pop up inexplicably at the back post out of nowhere, having seemingly been marked like five seconds ago. And Thomas Muller has retired and is on the bench uh, presumably yelling into a bullhorn still because he Muller's still going to Muller, but uh, won't be able to get on the end of some of those crosses. I will be sad when that day comes as well. I will do as well. Joe, I believe this is the first time we've had extra time at this World Cup, and I already want it to stop. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been banging this drum. Graham, Graham, do you bang this drum with me? I can't remember yes, who. Yes, I do, okay, yeah. good. Graham and I have been talking this about game. this. Yeah, it's been, it's been a talking point for a while. Extra time soccer is the worst soccer that exists. There is no point to playing it in international tournaments. It makes the games longer. It's not entertaining. And I'm not trying to be... A, a guy who complains, oh, I have to watch soccer for a living. I, I love watching soccer, and I still enjoyed watching this game. But if you're talking about improving the view, improving the viewer's experience, which should be the goal in so many ways of, of soccer broadcasts and of the sport in general, I mean, it, it does not need to be there. It does not yeah. really serve a purpose. You can get the same drama of a late extra time winner as you can at the end of regulation, incentivize teams to go for it inside the 90 minutes plus stoppage time, then go to penalties. Penalties are incredibly exciting. They're awful and they're nerve-wracking and they're terrible. And I love them so much. Just go to penalties instead.
Yeah, I mean, it's just such a like an unimaginative way to decide a match where you've had 90 minutes where nothing is between the two teams. How should we settle this match? <laughs> I know, 30 minutes of exactly the same uh, to see if we can decide it that way. And I'm not talking about deciding it through. What was some of the stuff we talked about in the Patreon? Like nutmegs and expected goals. I'm not advocating for that. But yeah, just go straight to pit to penalty shootouts. Because the other thing about extra time is it completely knackers the two teams. Yep. And so there's there's a there's a detrimental impact for the the next game. There's a knock on effect, and that affects the the viewer. You don't maybe don't get the entertainment factor in the next match, and it, nobody wins out of it. Uh, so yeah, just go straight to penalty shirts. Thought exercise here, Graham. What if it was like NFL unlimited overtime? Do you think that would actually encourage the teams to go for it a bit more? Because I don't know what that is, Ryan. You're going to need to explain. Overtime keeps going until someone wins, basically. Not in the NFL. Not anymore. Maybe college football, I believe it does that. But NFL can, in fact, have ties. And I believe it did over the weekend, yep. Taylor. It did. And, and many, has, and hang on. NFL can have ties. And there all those uh, uh, proper American sports people are complaining about ties in, in the World Cup. Hang on. Mm. When Come did on this now. happen? When did this happen? Washington and New York, I believe, this weekend. And it did leave, it always leaves the player, like at least one player, sort of like, all right, so we're going again. We got another quarter of this. Like somehow people still don't know the rules, even the people playing it. Yeah, mm. you can have ties in the NFL, and they did just that. I do love the idea, though, Ryan, uh, to, to go with like the spirit of what you're getting at, of if you, if you basically were like, okay, each team has like 90 seconds of like a man advantage off a set piece. And you just did set pieces back and forth until somebody scored. Like, <laughs> like at least then you can sort Bad of. Bad news for the USA in that respect. <laughs> Ooh. Never mind. I don't like this plan anymore. I'm going back to the thing I always advocate, which is taking off a player every five minutes. Yes. Next time. That, yeah, I want that. And, and though and everyone's going to get hurt and everyone's going to be tired, exactly. I want to get down to like 2v2 on a full pitch. Someone's got to win. There are no penalties. Good luck, fellas. Good luck. Oh dear. Um, any more to say about this one? I, th- I guess we should talk about the shootout and Japan's like Joe. Uh, it's it's hard to analyze, but what happened here with Japan? It seemed like it was pretty feeble, and it seems like uh, Livakovic is going to go down in history in some respects for that performance in goal. Although he didn't have to work that hard to make the saves, I would argue. It was no. Tim- was it Tim Krul in 2014 who was a monster in that shootout at that time? Yeah. Yeah, it, it felt like that might be a bit more impressive than what Livakovic did with all due respect. Yeah, he didn't have as much as you would want a goalkeeper to have to do in a shootout, right? If you're Japan, you want to you want to place those balls well. You want to get them on frame. Taylor, I think you're right, at least visually. I don't know what's going on inside the Japanese players' heads in that moment, but visually, it looked like they were trying to control the ball very uh, very calmly inside to- the, the width of the mm-hmm. goal. Just hit the ball, right? You have to power. You have to have power and placement. If you have one of those things and not the other, I think you're going to see a yeah. shootout performance like we did from Croatia in this competition. It's been a really bad tournament for silly little stupid penalty kicks with bad run-ups. <laughs> it's, it's, so, honestly, those penalties. These penalties turn me into a proper football man, I, and and I think players hinder themselves by doing those run-ups most of the time. Was the Croatian one as well? Was a was a the the, the one player Croatian player that missed? I can't actually recall who it was. Was it Kramaric? Maybe. Maybe yeah, um, his was a strange run-up as well. And I just think players kind of hinder themselves by doing those run-ups. Some players are excellent at it. Most players aren't, though. Just just hit it. Just just pick a spot, shoot, go for it. Yeah, Vlasic, Brozovic, Pasalic all uh, just picked a spot and hit it. Livaya thought he was being clever with the like no run-up hop uh, and hit it straight yeah. to the post. Uh, so, yeah, not the best one there. For Japan, I think... The thing that was really interesting to me was then watching the Brazil game, which obviously we're about to talk about, but jumping ahead for a moment. Neymar's penalty, I I do not have any sort of numbers for this. I think that might be the slowest I've ever seen a ball roll into a goal off of a penalty. He seems quite good at it, though. But see, this is what I'm getting at, is that the the point of doing that hop, the point of that little delayed run-up, is that they they do the research to show exactly what a goalkeeper's intentions are, but then also how those intentions change. The famous one uh, is from when Ronaldo misses in the uh, Manchester United-Chelsea penalty shootout. And Czech knew that if Ronaldo does that stutter and you don't move, it was like 90% of the time he goes the exact place he went. And so the goal, I think, with that stutter, with that hop, is to make the goalkeeper show their intentions. And then you can go either way. Japan, I'm saying all that to then say, Japan didn't do any of that. They just did the the usual run-up 
and then pass the ball very slowly. Like if you watch the replays of them from behind the goalkeeper, because I kept, I was writing in pen. I was nervous when I did my diagramming. So I was waiting to make sure that uh, Livakovic never leaves his line early and he doesn't. But that is almost more shocking that he is consistently has a foot on the line when it's taken, but then gets about a yard off the line by the time he is then diving and still is able to basically completely smother the ball. So he knows exactly where the taker is going. There's no disguise on it. And it's delicately passed into his hands. Just really bad takes that to me say they were just about pick your spot, put it in. It's almost like they had heard that old adage that put it on the floor or put it high, but don't put it like three feet off the ground. That's the worst place to put it. And so they all went low thinking, well, that should get the job done. And it decidedly did not yeah. in this one. Do you think they actually practiced, Kayla? Do you think they actually had strategy? Yes, I do. And I think that maybe is also part of it is that it seems like Livakovic guesses right on three of the four uh, and makes three out of the four saves. And it makes me wonder if maybe he was just he knew exactly where they were going and Japan didn't deviate. And, and you could see it a little bit in some of the indecision, especially with Yoshida when he takes that as he steps up, it's just that face of like even he doesn't seem to really know where he's going to go. And I think then if you're running up to take it and you're still not sure, you're never really going to put your laces through it because you're still like, ah, right, left, I'm not sure. And so what that's going to end in is you gently passing it to one side or the other and maybe getting lucky. And on this case, he did not. Mm-hmm. I, I read that each of the last seven penalty shootouts at the World Cup now have been won by the side shooting second. So maybe mm-hmm. Japan were doomed right from the start, which is that is notable because statistically, I think if you take the first penalty. Yeah. You're more likely to win, aren't you? So it, it mean, that means nothing, that Ooh. stat, but I thought it was quite interesting that the Except, last seven have been won by the second well, team. Well, they would have chosen first, right? Uh, possibly. I'm not yeah. sure. Well, but see, it works. The, it, to Graham's point, I think, yeah, statistically, if you go first, you're more likely to win because I remember a team recently, I think it was like in the last Champions League, maybe last year, choosing to go second and then losing and everyone slating them for, how could you choose that? You always want to go first. You always want to put the pressure on the opposition uh, unless you're talking about the World Cup in which apparently you don't. So uh, yeah, <laughs> credit to Croatia for falling to second place and then also converting most of their takes. Yeah, credit to Croatia for working through a World Cup knockout stage once again. They've got a 100% record in World Cup games that have gone to extra time, all three times in 2018. And this one making it a fourth consecutive. Very impressive stuff from the Croatians. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, some very impressive stuff from the Brazilians. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's dig our teeth. Let's dig our teeth. Let's dig something into Brazil for South Korea 1. A demolition of South Korea from the Seller yeah. Sao here. Casemiro, Neymar, uh, Richarlison and um, future Golden Ball <laughs> Paqueta on the score sheet for Brazil. Uh, Paik Sung-ho with a stunning consolation in the second half. Graham, quite frankly, Brazil could have scored seven or eight in the first half, it seemed. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. There was a moment on the Fox coverage, Graham, where... Jeff Shreves on the sideline started analysing Pickett's goal <laughs> celebration. They spent like a minute or two on it. And when they're doing that, you can tell it's kind of over as a contest. Yeah, well, there are a lot. There were a lot of goal celebrations in this game, and I very much enjoyed watching Brazil. They, they were. It was just so sexy uh, from them. You needed to turn off safe search to watch them in this game, and and I know Brazil have this reputation that is a little bit lazy and outdated. And in recent years, they have been a more disciplined team. But there was a point in the first half where it was like watching one of the old Nike adverts. Um, and I'm sure the majority of that first half was played in an airport with Vinicius and Neymar nutmegging security guards. Yep. It was Joga Benito and it was incredible to watch. The skill they showed in the attack and, and the way they constructed their goals was absolutely ridiculous. The third goal in particular oh, yeah. was the best team goal of the tournament so far. And it was built by Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, two centre-backs. So... Everyone just go home. It's over. Brazil have won it. They're too good. Graham, they they have that ad uh, with, I think it's Ronaldinho, where they're in the locker room getting ready and they're all sort of, you know, like dancing around and passing it back and forth and trying to make each other. And then they go out and I think it's against Chile. They like cut that to the actual game where they have like this eight pass, quick one and two touch passing and mm. it ends at a tap in at the back post. Yeah, this felt like that. It felt like the next Nike ad. I feel like Nike were rubbing their hands together or the creative team because they don't really have to do that much for the next ad because you can basically take this one of Richarlison's seal juggling uh, around a Korean yeah. defender and Korean players looking absolutely confused as to what to do or how to defend this team. And justifiably so, because as you said, uh, every defender involved in the attack, every attacker involved in the attack, every goalkeeper involved in the tournament at this point, though they didn't get to be involved in any sort of goal-scoring opportunities for Brazil. Still, a resoundingly uh, strong game for Brazil. And the goal, that, that goal from Richarlison and the build-up to it is phenomenal. Let's not pretend like the best part, though, isn't them all going over to the sidelines and, and TJ celebrating. I mean, that <laughs> oh, yeah. is like... That is That's an all-time World Cup moment. That is going to be played on these sorts of pre-tournament highlight tapes or whatever packages the rights holders have. That's going to be used for decades now, and certainly every time Brazil is in any game of consequence. What a moment that was. I don't know how old TJ is. I probably should have looked that up before we started. He's not a spring chicken. The fact that he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get on this action, yeah. and it is, it is mm-hmm. unreal. Brazil played an incredible game of soccer in the first half. They kind of shut it down and just played somewhat normally in the second half. South Korea Mm. get a goal back. I mean, this game was done by probably the 12th, 13th minute, whenever Neymar's penalty hits the back of the net, this game was done. And then Brazil were just having fun, fellas. They were just having fun. Uh, I I also took Chi-Chi's... Sorry, Taylor. I also took Chi-Chi's dancing as like a warning sign that, uh uh-oh, Brazil don't hate their manager. And that is... uh, that yes. is dangerous for the rest of the tournament because yes. that's one of the things traditionally that can hinder Brazil is when there's a, a, a rift between the manager and the team. And it very much seems like they all get on. And even things like Chiche bringing on Weverton so that every player in the squad has appeared yep. at this World Cup. It just adds to the kind of ominous feeling about Brazil that they are happy and they are playing good soccer at the moment. No dancing for Dunga, that's for sure. No, no. neither time. Neither time he was the coach. Uh, I, I had that same note, Graham, that it felt like a deliberate thing to then go over and incorporate him. And it's just like, wow, even the coach is just having himself a time. Can anyone guess uh, the one person I have seen who was not pleased with the dancing and Chi-Chi getting involved in the, in the antics? Roy Keane. Roy Keane. would be the one. Of course. Yeah. Roy Keane. <laughs> not, not for me. Unacceptable. And I do think that if this had been Uruguay instead of uh, Korea, we probably would have seen a red card if this game had gone the way it did. Uh, so at the very least, Brazil get away with this one without any uh, significant injuries that I've seen. Uh, and overall, an incredible first half. Uh, I think a lot of people making the mercy rule joke uh, when it when it was 4-0 fairly quickly. And it, and it did seem like about Brazil, there was this element of, we're going to continue to dunk on you. We're going to continue to go for megs and, and do little flicks and tricks 
as long as you don't try to score on us. If you try to score on us, we will then unleash the beast again. And I like that Korea waited until uh, the latter stages of the second half to get one goal back. I feel like if where, they had Where did gone they learn from, that from, Taylor? Where did they learn that <laughs> technique from? <laughs> Which one? Like, like score or we'll, or we'll destroy you? Yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't there know, was, Ryan. There was a game a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to draw in that reference, do you? You have to bring it back. The, the, the German in you wants to mention that one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I I thought this was incredible. And I thought it was just wild to see every... Like, there's just moments. Like, there's a, a long clear from Korea in the first half. And I think it's still only 3-0. And it's Thiago Silva running back towards his goal. And he, outside of the foot, like, as he's running backwards, flicks it over uh, a Korean player's head to the feet of Marquinhos. And then Marquinhos, like, brings it down perfectly. And I think with the same fluid motion, passes it out wide. And it's just like, at that point, like, they're just playing for vibes. They're just playing for fun. This is just pickup to them at this point. And yeah. they never really got out of that gear because they never really needed to. And, and Danny Alves coming on as well. I saw John Arnold on Twitter <laughs> yes. call him a human victory cigar. And that was absolutely <laughs> perfect. <sighs> oh, oh, dear. Um, Joe, so we, we, the, the consensus now is that Brazil have one hand on the trophy. This was a fantastic performance. We can't take anything away from them from this. Let's try and take something away from them from this. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <laughs> are they still questionable in defense? They can be got at, surely. I mean, they're not a perfect team, right? They're, they're not a perfect team. The defense isn't really the area that I would focus on as being weak. So they have had some injuries there. It's It's been shuffled around a bit, and we see Danilo on the left side of the back line in this game instead of the right. It's Militao on the right. That's kind of been Tiche's go-to with Militao on that spot after Danilo was out, and now Danilo's had to shift over to cover for Alexandro. So there have been some chops and changes in that area, but I think Brazil was still incredibly strong defensively, and a lot of that comes down to Allison. I know he gets beaten once in this match, but South Korea had some extremely well-placed shots. They didn't generate a lot of mm-hmm. chances from good spots on the field. They had a really hard time accessing high-value areas. They weren't getting into the box all that much. And all those things are signs of a good defense. But occasionally, you'll still have a team that can't break into those areas just unleash an absolute banger, right? Juan Hee Chan had one in the first half that Allison saves. It's upper 90. Allison has a couple of other really impactful saves in this match. Again, Brazil do concede one. But yeah, I, I think the defense is strong with Allison there. The one thing that I'll take away from this, I'll take away from Brazil from this win is that South Korea may be the worst team left in this competition or, or maybe were before today. You see them just barely scrape out of their group and credit to them for getting out of the group. But I, I don't think any of us have really ever been under the impression that they are an incredibly strong team. We saw their limitations defensively today. That was kind of all they had going for them before today and then attacks on the break. But the quality just isn't there for a team like South Korea. So it's on to the next for Brazil, where they will have a bit of a stiffer challenge against Croatia. Yeah. I I will co- pour some cold water on Brazil. And I really don't want to because World Cups for me... So when I grew up, I you know my first three World Cups as a kid are 94, 98, and 2002. So World Cups for me, and I think for a lot of people, are, are more fun when Brazil are good. And they haven't been good for a while. So I, I don't want to pour cold water on this. But I think the draw has been relatively kind to them. Not yes. necessarily. Joe points out South Korea there and the, their quality. But I'd even go further and, and, and kind of highlight the profile of the teams that they've played. They've yet to play a team that wants to control the, the midfield. And while I've been very impressed with Casemiro, that he has basically managed to be a one-man midfield in this World Cup so far, I want to see what happens in the quarterfinal against Croatia when they have Modric and Brozovic and Kovacic up against them. How does, how does he handle that? Are Croatia going to control that match? Um, and obviously then you could argue, well, Brazil are st- still going to have the quality in quick transition. They're going to tear Croatia apart when they have the opportunities. But that's the sort of test Brazil haven't had yet. They, they, they have the players to bulk up in midfield. So they could bring in Fabinho or Fred, I guess, has come into that midfield when Neymar was missing. But is that going to mess with their attack? Because we saw in the game where they where they did change things, it was slightly more stagnant in the final third for them. So I guess we're going to find out against Croatia because Croatia, as I say, are one of those teams that will look to control the ball. And that's something that Brazil haven't faced at this World Cup yet. I think another interesting wrinkle will be uh, if they try to do what they did early in this game. I think they move away from this tactic a little bit as the 
second half or first half goes on because they don't need so much defensive cover. But I think also part of Militao starting at right back is to basically allow him to be the right center back when Danilo moves into the middle. And then you had Danilo and Casemiro together. So you almost had a like 3-2-4-1 or a 3-2-5 when Brazil were trying to build out. And that does allow Casemiro to have a, a, a kind of like pivot partner there. It means Paqueta can stay a little bit further high and doesn't have to be in like that 4-2-3-1. But now you've got Danilo in there with Casemiro, but that doesn't really happen for them until they get around midfield and around midfield in possession. If they're under possession, if there's a risk of turning the ball over, then Danilo would stay in that fullback spot because you don't want to get caught out and leave that giant gap. And Korea never really pressed them, were never able to cause disruptions in the way they wanted to build. I don't think that was part of their game. But if you're a team that steps a little bit higher, sits a little bit higher and frustrates that build out, you can't make that transition as smoothly, Brazil, and so you can't have Danilo move centrally, and that means it is going to be Casemiro in the middle by himself unless they bring in another player, and that gets to Graham's point of you're then changing the way you want to attack. There is certainly a ton of flexibility, and I don't think that that necessarily spells disaster for Brazil, but it's an opportunity for Croatia to disrupt the way that Brazil wants to play and force them to make adjustments, and at the very least, they're then reacting to you as opposed to controlling the game from the jump. Graham, we live in a world where the two best goals at the World Cup have been scored by a Tottenham player. How do we feel about this? It's going to give the Tottenham fans a big, uh, you know, it's not going to be you good. You seem very uncomfortable about this. Um, it doesn't feel right. No, no disrespect. I, Actually, some disrespect to Tottenham. It doesn't feel right, does it? Yeah, it feels like a little disrespectful to Tottenham. <laughs> uh, particularly, I think because it's, it's Spurs' or Tottenham's like second choice striker as well but I, I i am i've always been a big fan of richarlison and, and i'm very much happy that he's kind of proving yeah. some critics wrong because I, I i think mm. i've said this in the poll already people kind of misunderstand what he is as a player i think conte has a good idea of the kind of player he is and, and i predict that after this world cup we're going to see more of these kind of performances from the from richarlison at tottenham but um i think the beauty of his World Cup so far has been the two goals that you referenced there, Ryan, maybe the two best goals of the tournament, are complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what you look for in a good goal. You've got the brilliant team goal where he kind of finishes the move. And it is a nice finish, but the, the beauty is in the construction before his finish. And then you have the overhead scissor kick, whatever you want to call it, which is kind of the other end of the spectrum, which is a bit more spectacular, a bit more orthodox in terms of what is a, a, an amazing goal. But they probably are. Do we have any any dissension in the ranks in terms of those being the two best goals of the tournament, I think they probably are. Mbappe's got to have one or two up there. Messi as well has a couple yep. of contenders. And I keep going Abubakar back to the, was good. to the Gavi one. The Abubakar finish might actually be my favorite one outside of that, that Richarlison bike. But yes, Graham, to your point, Richarlison, you've got me fully on the Richarlison bandwagon at this point. I'm not sure I was all the way there before the tournament started. Now getting a chance to watch him play as... Not a, not a focal point, but as a reference point in Brazil's attack as a lone number nine, a role that I think suits him very, very well. He's been incredible. And one thing that I don't think we've gotten to about his performance from this game, or really Brazil's performance in this game, is how well they counterpressed. And that's what creates yeah. the second goal. That's what creates the, the game-ending finish for Neymar from the penalty spot is Brazil are in possession in the final third. They lose the ball. And it's, it's not the midfield, it's not the wingers, it's not the fullbacks. It's Richarlison as the number nine, who is already like behind South Korea's back line. He sneaks back into the play. He's the first person to react. He comes around, gets to the ball, draws a foul, because South Korea don't, don't expect him to get there that quickly, and Neymar convert, converts the penalty. So not only is he scoring goals, not only is he providing other looks in possession, he's also hustling defensively and getting into those, those spots to draw fouls or to win the ball or to do whatever it is. Richarlison has put on pretty much a clinic of how to impact games from the striker spot so far in Qatar. Agreed. There's also an element of like necessary selfishness about his play in the first half. He has one where he picks it up, I think in Brazil's half and carries it the entire length of the field, ends up shooting the shot spills to Neymar. And I think is like thighed over by a Korean defender for a, for a corner. And Neymar was really, no, I think it's a goal kick. And Neymar is very frustrated that that cutback doesn't occur. And I get why that would be the case. I get why you'd be frustrated, especially if you're chasing Pele's record. 
But I also think for Richarlison, you have to take some of those opportunities just to keep the defense honest, just to keep the goalkeeper honest. And then you can go for that, that cutback, which Brazil did a number of times in this game, uh, multiple times with good effect. I, I like that he has that sort of selflessness about the way he runs, about the way he counterpresses, and oftentimes about the way he lays the ball off, but then makes those aggressive runs on and off the ball to make something happen, takes some shots, tries to make a goal happen on his own, but will also be part of a team move if that's what it requires. I think it's been a great tournament for him and I, I'm just really enjoying him leading this line in a way that I wasn't sure that I would and, and he's also a good guy he fronts a load of like hey, children's charities agreed. in Brazil and I think he gives a portion of his salary to to charity and and obviously there's the whole kind of anti-Bolsonaro thing yep. um, as well so he very much feels like an icon of this new Brazil team I think yeah definitely so and I think I said over the summer that he could have he could fit in at most top tier like Premier League teams or even European teams like Man yep. City I think he'd fit in really well there for example so um, I, I meant no dis- specific uh, disrespect for Tottenham for my previous statement more sure. than I'm someone who grew up watching soccer in the 90s and it just feels odd that they're going to potentially have a World Cup winner who scored two of the best hey, goals Hey Ryan remember you Cup. had uh, you had Chris Gunter right for Wimbledon that was yeah. that was fun wasn't it? He Yeah he was he was there he went to Qatar Basically as good as having the two best goals of the tournament come from a player who plays for your club I see no difference here Alright Joe I see where you came with this <laughs> Very good, very good. Um, I will say also, my VSP did not come through. I said that Thiago Silva would have exactly one shot in this game. He had exactly zero shots, but he had an assist. Half point? Yeah, let's give me a half point. No, no point no. given. Uh, Absolutely not. not a half point given. But while we're claiming credit, I will take mine because Croatia had over 400 passes, but uh, nice. under 1.5 XG. So uh, that was more or less how I thought that one would play out. I will say every time they got in a good shooting position, I, I got increasingly nervous, which is maybe not what you're looking for You when you want that game to end in regulation. Uh, really, really kind of shot myself in the foot with that prediction. Very good indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk a bit more about uh, Brazil's uh, upcoming quarterfinal. Uh, And of course, our next very specific predictions for tomorrow's games. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We have three of our four World Cup quarterfinals set now. Of course, we know that England are playing France. We know that the Netherlands are facing Argentina. And now we know, Joe, that the Croatians will be facing Brazil, which... um, Feels very World Cup-y. That I'm sure that happened. Did that happen in '98? Has it happened in? Tw- it's happened a few times at these finals, if my memory serves me correct, which it probably doesn't. <laughs> but uh, Ryan, do you want a list of? Sorry, just to jump in there. Do you want a list of matches that feel like they should have happened at a World <laughs> Cup and never have? Go on. So there's six of them: Argentina versus Portugal, Belgium v Denmark, Croatia v Spain, France v Netherlands. What? That's a surprising one. Germany v Nigeria and Italy v Portugal. Another you, one that I would have swear I, I would have sworn has happened at a World Cup. Graham, Those have matchups that? have never happened at a men's World Cup final. Before. Graham yeah, typed back from? in his own database and pulled that out. <laughs> yeah, how do you know that? Where, where, do you have a spreadsheet in front of you, or is that from memory? <laughs> I very quickly remembered that I had liked a tweet from yesterday, and then uh, quickly scrolled yes. through that as Ryan was talking and brought it up. <laughs> well played, Graham. Wow, that's that's artistry. Also, Graham, you're wrong. All of those games did happen at a World Cup. I don't know what that's talking about, but all of those sound very much like they have happened, as does Croatia, <laughs> Brazil, Ryan Bailey, whether or not it, it did happen or not. I'm excited for this game. I think it's going to be a really fun match, Graham. To your point earlier, Croatia will be a team that tries to control the midfield in ways that Brazil's previous opponents just haven't, for the most part. They have the most talented... The, the, the team... Croatia will have a more talented midfield than Brazil. That, that's how I'm trying to frame this, right? Croatia has uh, the, the three players that are going to be central. It's going to be Brozovic. It's going to be Modric. It's going to be Kovacic. Those three players are going to try to make life extremely difficult for Brazil in the center of the field. Now, they might not have the same athleticism that Brazil will have in certain parts of the field. And I don't really expect Croatia to dominate the ball either. But when you have those players, it becomes so much easier to get out on the break. It becomes so much easier to play through pressure and to avoid a counterpress. So... I think that part of the field mixed with Josep Guardiol, who is a phenomenal player as well, He's has been good. incredible in this tournament, and Lovren, who, who can whip a ball in and can play out of the back a little bit as well. Those five players could be key for Croatia. I don't think they're going to beat Brazil. I'd be very surprised if they do. But if they do, it's going to be going to be because of some combination of that central spine. Joe, are you at all concerned about the counterpressing you mentioned previously? Because I don't think of Croatia being a team that builds particularly quickly out of the back. And I think if Brazil do send numbers high, sit on those center backs, sit on Brozovic, I I can see it just being Croatia forced into playing to a center back, playing to a fullback, hoofing it up the pitch, and then Brazil reestablish possession. 
if Brazil are counterpressing well, they're not even going to have time to do that little combo, yeah. right? They're not even going to have time to go center back to full back to forward. They might have some time to do that if Brazil are just high pressing and they're stepping up the field on goal kicks or things like that. Then maybe we see Croatia try to build. But no, Taylor, to your point, I'm not sure that this team is especially disciplined in possession. It seems like it is a lot of vibey stuff with hmm. relying on the individual talent that they have in central spaces. And there is plenty of it. So the recipe works okay for, for Croatia, but they might need a little bit more against Brazil later on. What, this week? Yeah, it's got to be later this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Fr- I also, uh, Ryan, an important update for you. 2006 World Cup in the group stage. Brazil won, Croatia nothing. Uh, also, Taylor, uh, it wasn't 98 they played. It, they also uh, shared the opening game of the 2014 World Cup. A fact I probably should have known because I was there. Um, but I still forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you should feel shame. That's correct. Yeah. That's the correct emotion to feel. I'm falling apart, listener. I apologize for that. But, um, yeah, they have played relatively recently, and that was um, there was a late penalty in that one. Um, Oscar getting a late penalty to win it for Brazil. So that was a tight game, actually, uh, if we can take form from six, eight just, years ago. I'm just picturing now, like, what Ryan's podcast smelling salts would be. Like, just be like, <laughs> Ryan, who does your brother live near? And then that will, like, bring you out of <laughs> out of your coma or, or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm playing the hits today. I apologize <laughs> for that. Um, anything else, Greg, to say about this matchup? Do, I, I'm interested in this midfield battle. Yeah, the midfield is going to be the, the key area. I think Joe's kind of detailed that already. And then from that midfield battle, I think Brazil's defence will face a little bit more of a test. They've obviously, basically all the way through this World Cup so far, their defence has played on the halfway line or for the third goal today on the edge of the opposition box. And so I think that back line is going to have to be a little bit deeper. Croatia do have a little bit of pace through players like uh, Perisic and, and Kramerich to get in behind. So if Brazil are too high, then that could be... That could be a threat to, to, to them and that could be something that Croatia expose. So yeah, in, in terms of those two things, I am interested to see how that pans out. But I can only see Brazil winning that match for the reason that they've won um, most matches so far at this World Cup. They're just going to have too many attacking solutions. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work in the first 60 minutes, they've got Martinelli and Anthony and uh, all these other attackers that they can bring off the bench to, to try and find another solution. And I think that will be too much for Croatia in the end. I do also Indeed. think Croatia will be maybe a bit more physical than Korea were able to be. Uh, Neymar was fouled three times in this game. Uh, if I gave you three and a half as the over-under for the Croatia game for Neymar fouls, are you taking the over or the under, gentlemen? Over. Over. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm pounding go. the over, Taylor. Yeah. I also yeah. was surprised that Neymar didn't come off at halftime. Yep. You're up 4 nil. Yeah, Neymar's just recovered from his ankle being the size of a volleyball, and he plays till the 80th minute. That that really surprised me. That could have been uh, maybe the mm. hyperbolic, but like a catastrophic error from TJ. Yeah. But it worked out because it seemed like everything was working out for Brazil today, the, and that's all right. The bet for this game was what minute was Neymar's ankle going to explode? Yeah. Uh, I, I figured around 55, 55th <laughs> minute, but un- uh, fortunately for him, he gets through the match. But if Neymar had been taken off, we wouldn't get my favorite moment of this game, Casemiro cleaning grass off of his nose, which was really just a special moment after he was fouled, uh, which I think ESPN has a still love on their Twitter feed. But uh, that, that moment as he's getting to take a free kick and Casemiro just leans in and rubs his nose a little bit. I'm not even sure Neymar knew it was one of his teammates who did it. He seemed sort of confused by why suddenly his nose mm. no longer tickled. There, there's been a lot of PDA at this World Cup the last few days between, uh, who was it, Giroud and Mbappe and, yes. and Bellingham and Henderson's yeah. very intense yeah. moment yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a thread right now. Maybe the uh, wiping um, grass off of Neymar's nose is going to be the new kissing Fabian Barthez's head. It's going to be a new good luck thing. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, for good luck. Every game. Every game now. Yeah, good stuff. All right, um, one last thing left to do on this here podcast. That's our very specific predictions. Two games happening tomorrow on Tuesday. Morocco versus Spain and Portugal against Switzerland to decide that final quarterfinal berth. Uh, Taylor, do you, who, who, have you got a Morocco-Spain prediction? I do. Um, <laughs> I, I predicted previously that this game would go to penalties. Uh, Ryan, you are steering this ship, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I'm so tired, Taylor. I'm sorry. Uh, I previously predicted that this would go to penalties. Uh, I don't know if that will end up being the case, so I won't make that my specific prediction. I still think it's going. it's likely to be... A slow game with Spain having a lot of the ball. Morocco had 33% possession against Belgium in that win. I think they will have 30% or fewer against Spain. Uh, So Morocco with 30% or fewer possession in this game against Spain. Excellent stuff. Joe Lowry, which of these games did you pick for your VSP? 
ah, there's a safer way to let me decide which one it is. Instead of guessing, I picked Portugal, Switzerland myself. I'm going with Rafael Leao is going to have the most completed dribbles. He's not going to start. I'll be very, very surprised if he starts. But he had the most completed dribbles even while being a sub in all three group stage games. He had that in one of Portugal's three matches so far. I could see him repeating that feat again if he comes on late and Portugal still needs something, which I think they just might. Taylor, I see your your applause into the microphone. This is my golf and I uh, I appreciate it. I love it because it's a great prediction. It also means we might get to see Rafael Leal yes. like smile yes. at full speed. Somehow he can sprint <laughs> and grin at the same time. But also I think it's great because I really want to see him and I think he is capable of being that difference maker player for them. Joe, well done. Graham and Ryan, you got a lot to live up to. I, oh, I wanted to make this a Vitinha prediction, but Vitinha is not going to play, so nah. I didn't. There you go. Well, that Boom. could be a prediction. Done. Oh, all right, two. If I get, I'm taking two points if I get both of them right. <laughs> oh, Done. not very specific enough in my book. Um, Graham, after, after you suggested it, half point, half point for Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, I'll give you your half point if you'll let me have that in play for uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'm not the ju- I'm not the judge and jury here. I don't Agreed. know. All right, put it to Discord. Cool. Taking it. Yeah, let the Discord handle it. Graham, your your VSP. So my VSP is also for the Portugal-Switzerland game, but it's Switzerland-minded, and it is that more of Switzerland's attacking play will come down the right side than any other area of the pitch, meaning more than the central or the left. That was the case in the two matches they've won at this World Cup against Cameroon and Serbia, and I expect it will be the case against Portugal as well. They have the power cube down the right, and he conducts so many of the, the Swiss attacks. Portugal could kind of shut that down in terms of how they play and their conservative approach. But I think Switzerland are going to have some joy against uh, Portugal um, in this game in, in an attacking sense. So that is my VSP. But Graham, what's, what left center back could be starting for Portugal that would possibly be there as a, a cone that they'll try to dribble past? <laughs> I, uh, has he been there for every World Cup for all eternity? Yes. <laughs> He's it's a little known fact. Yes. Yeah. Pepe, Pepe has been in every single one since the beginning. Uh, 1930 was a breakout year for him. Yeah. <laughs> How old is he now? Is he like 38 or 39 or something? He's old. I don't anyway. think he ages. He just yeah. stays like mid-30s for the rest of his life. Wow. Yeah. Very impressive stuff. Very impressive stuff from a fellow 39-year-old who is clearly falling apart this evening. Uh, <laughs> my VSP is also for Portugal versus Switzerland. I'm going to say that Portugal in this game will have less than 60% possession. If you look at their possession stats for the three group games, it was 61 and a half, 59.7, 61.8. Very nearly identical possession stats they've had throughout this tournament, around 60-ish percent. Switzerland, also very similar possession stats they've had throughout this tournament, 46.4, 46.3, 49.2. My theory here is that Switzerland aren't going to go below 40% here, so um, so, so, Swiss, uh, so Portugal will go sub-60%. Fernando Santos, you know, might be a bit negative here, might retreat, might give the Swiss a bit more of the ball particularly if Portugal take the lead here. So I'm going for Portugal to have less than 60% possession. I hope that Boom. Makes sense. Boom, baby. Nice. Cool. All right. That just about wraps up this here podcast. Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your services tonight. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. Uh, much appreciated. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always. You've been average, but it's been fun. No, you've been great. You've been great. You've been great, Ryan. And as always, you, you people like should know it's very hard to host these shows. I'm always eternally grateful when Ryan is around because listening to what people are saying while also transitioning to the next segment and making sure like all the little things that we've added uh, are are mentioned is 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 no small feat. So Ryan is a pro, uh, and his Wimbledon mentions just a plus. Yeah, it's been 16 days straight, Taylor. It's been a wonderful experience, but also... Down in the mines, baby. Down, down in, in the, the mines. mines. Down in the mines. <laughs> Graham Rutherford. Have, have you got the black lung, Ryan Bailey, <laughs> at this point? <laughs> Thank you, Graham, very much Did for not your like time that. as well. Did not like that. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Remember, no croissants or baguettes before Saturday. Wee oui, wee, oui, bien sûr. Thank you very much, Graham Rutherford. And listener, thank you for joining us on what has been an increasing train wreck for me on this podcast, <laughs> but the other three have been quite terrific. Uh, we'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye! Bye!